Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. We've got a great episode for you guys today. We have um, one of the most interesting people I know that I talk to. Uh, Christopher Kimberberger is coming on the podcast. And the dude is an, an enigma. <laughs> and I find him, every time I end up talking to him on the phone or text or whatever, it's always interesting every time without fail. And he's done a bunch of cool projects. Like he was the first guy to ever do a drone film uh, or a car film with a drone. Oh, wow. Like he did this drone film of the of the Nürburgring and it was posted on Jalopnik like 15 years ago. Oh, and they're wow. like, holy cow, look at this. Because normally you see this stuff with like a helicopter or something, yeah. right? Um, and he's uh, he's also got a publication that he's working on right now called Vehicule, okay. which is uh, kind of this like avant-garde transportation uh, magazine, coffee table book style thing. Cool. Super good. I actually bought one for you. Oh, did you? But I haven't brought it in yet. So I've got two copies oh, nice. sitting. I've got one I've got to give to you because I think I'll think you'll like it as well. Um, really, really, really interesting guy. Really interesting perspectives on things. Um, take things a little bit deeper than you normally would on a lot of different topics. And obviously, uh, you know, um, he, uh, he's a car guy. I don't know if he likes to admit that he's a car guy, but, <laughs> but sometimes it always seems that he, he like circles around back towards, you know, things with engines, you know, so it's, it's always interesting to hear from him. Um, but before we get to that, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a moment to talk about Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the car guy. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all the latest and greatest in the industry, and they send it right there to your doorstep. Now, there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com, and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order. All right, guys, here's my interview with the very enigmatic Christopher Kippenberger. Mr. Kippenberger, man, thanks so much for coming on the pro- yeah. podcast. I really appreciate being here. Thank you for having me. How you doing, man? How's Germany? Good. Efficient. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I talked to uh, a, a really German uh, Porsche guy, Alvin Springer, <laughs> and the first thing he said to me is like, oh, you are right on time. You're so efficient, just like us Germans. It's like this... Yeah. This thing where Germans just have this efficiency thing and that it's always talked about. But is it is it really that true that it's just like this efficiency thing or is it just kind of a, a joke? Yeah, it's a myth. It's a myth. Like <laughs> uh, like anything else, you know, just humans. But they like um, they may, like making you believe that that's true. And I don't know. Just like those elephants, like carrying the tail of the other elephant, you know, like it's like one of them believes and the other believes and the other believes and it just goes in that direction. And then for all the time where that's not true, they have autoresponder. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've dealt with a German, like a so-called German efficient company, or especially the car guys. Uh, it's usually death by like autoresponder. That's why the name of my book after working with one of these companies for an extended amount of time is called Sehr geehrter Herr Kippenberger, which is usually the beginning of the autoresponder email. It says like Sehr geehrter whatever. I'm not at my desk right now and I'm not checking my emails and maybe I'll get back to you. They just have that on their copy paste. It's not even an autoresponder. They just actually physically copy paste and then send it to you. Yeah, or they're just there working, and that's like going out. It's just it happens at every email. There's no if they're there or not. Yeah. 
Well, that's the uh, epitome of efficiency is just having a computer respond that you're not there. I mean, yes, yes, I I agree, man. I agree. Like I rented a car the other day, or, and the only the weakest link in the chain was just this human who could just be easily replaced by a computer, but was generate like these people that generate errors in order for themselves to solve them in front of you, and then that is their job. Like there's no real purpose for them to be there except just create error logs like error 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 hey 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 don't talk i'm talking now error 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 but we can re- i can resolve these you know what's amazing is i feel like you could I'm, go to the rental place and you could walk up to a machine like just like the, when you have a mall and you want to like store your stuff while you walk around the mall there's this little thing that you push and you can get your stuff back yeah why can't i just go in there type in a code that i had i got via email and the key just slides out into a thing and i just go get in the car and drive away why does it have to be this absolute nightmare I don't know. I think they had it like in the late nineties and then it probably worked too well and they got rid of it again (laughs) and then they installed humans again. But why, I mean, everything's so like down the rabbit hole on that one, right? Like where it's like, why are we even going to places and getting keys? You know, like why aren't we just walking up to shit and like getting it going? Because that's possible. Like both like on the payment side and on the technology side of opening the car and starting the car. Like, you know, we see it with, car sharing or whatever it's probably the direction just like not necessarily gonna like work out the way where in my world where you know like there's all these 911s just standing around i can get into one or like uh you know nice cyber trucks or whatever with like a gun turning on them uh you know it's gonna be like um chinese kind of like trojan horses like you know some company that doesn't even pay taxes in whatever country they're deploying these like hideous pieces of shit and uh you know grabbing your data and uh you know you have all these people like driving to like the next human rights protest on in their nikes and their (laughs) iphone on like some like chinese scooter that's also being billed offshore uh you know like like financing death camps where like muslims in china are locked up and getting their hair shaved so the jenners can wear them as like hair extensions you know like that's like more where i see it going versus like you know a nice civil mix of like bag products yeah utopia is an illusion that's for sure yeah it's just getting worse that's the problem like there's all these options but we always choose the wrong like the wrong one like the wrong color like when you design your own shoe on, on nike you know you could like do it really cool it's just but then there's also like this hideous version like the worst one like the worst colorway and that's what i feel like you know like when humans are left to their own devices and have too many options it all it ends poorly you know so so how do you choose the person know. that makes the choices for you total like uh dictatorship like apps like absolute dictatorship or like some sort of algorithm controlled world where, you know, everyone's on like some sort of medication and just kind of puts up with it. Well, as long but as I'm still able to only... drive my car, I, I guess I don't care who's in power <laughs> at this point. Yeah, you're going to be like one of the last ones, bro. Like when all the robots are after you, like, like you know, like in the Matrix when they come down with the tentacles and they're like the, I don't know what they're called, like the, you know, the ones that scrape that are like yep. drilling into the mothership. Like they've been deployed. Like when those are deployed, you're gonna be like the last person on earth with that with that I don't know. I'll be fleeing in thing. my car while everybody else is like teleporting <laughs> yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Like down a dusty road, dude. I see it. <laughs> so what are you driving these days? What's what's going on in your world? Um, I don't know. I'm more like a little kind of like whatever. It's not really cars or I don't know. Just like are you excited about any cars? Just, are you excited just, about anything? Just is over it? it, man. Just over it. It's just like a little like lawnmower, you know, or it's like um like I'm over skateboards. Like, you know, like I've been working with aviation for a while and like marine products and you know, just cars, like it's just weird when you see it through other people's perspectives. Like like to me, like there was a phase where even driving like a ta- like a taxi was like uh, a luxury, you know, and then I was like afforded to drive every car that kind of is lustworthy and exists. And at the end of the day, to me, they're just, you know, you have that first effect of like whatever getting delivered like a Rolls Royce to your door for two years, like, you know, and then driving around in that. And then after a day or two, it's just kind of like wears off and it could just be like a big Passat or something, you know, or uh, some whatever, you know, but the outside world keeps reacting to. Because they're seeing it fresh product. every single time. Yeah, and you're that guy in the Rolls Royce. So, like, whatever you do in the Rolls Royce, you're, like, either the dick or the nice guy. Or usually, the, that's weird. Rolls has a weird, is a weird one. But, yeah, I've spent a lot of time, like, analyzing that. Just, like, the social reaction of cars. And, like, even if you have a fast car in Germany, which, um, uh, you know, usually I do have in some form, it doesn't do you any good if you're on the highway and people don't move over, right? So if you're in like, and it's always these, it's different than you think. Like you, like, okay. So if you're like in a bright red or orange Porsche 911 GTS, and you're just, you know, want to drive fast. And then all of a sudden some pedophile in like a Skoda wagon is in front of you and doesn't move over. And he's there on purpose. And he's got his whole like family in the car and he just won't pull over. He's like in the left lane. And, you know, you're going like 250, 260, 270. And like this dude that's just there doesn't move over. You know, like that doesn't do your car could be as fast as whatever. It doesn't do any good. So we I've have this perception that, over think, here that like in Germany, everybody moves over because everyone's like, oh, the American roads are no, terrible, blah, blah, blah. No, Nobody ever no, moves over. No, and we no, think no, Germany's no, like, no, oh, no. yeah, it's the super methodical thing where everybody just gets out of your way all the time and you can drive as fast as you want no, in the left lane no, forever. I, I, yeah, well, like I said, it's like I'll get to that part of that second part, but of like the cars where they do move over. So like the bright shit, like they usually don't really act like the way you think they would. And like my theory is that these people are suicidal. They're just like one step before pulling over the car and just like like leaving the whole family in there and running away at the next stoplight, like with their hands over their heads, screaming, you know, like and never to be seen from again. And these people are just like driving along and they're just like, do it, asshole. Like drive into me, kill me. I don't care. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Like I've been trying to like they know better. empathy. Right. I mean, they know better. They know. <sighs> yeah, they know, but it's this German thing. It's weird, you know? Like, they want to... They can't have it, so they want to, like, spoil it for you. Anyways, then you're in this other kind of car. I was, I don't know, I was before broke. Uh, shout out Mercedes-Benz. I had an E63 wagon that I was really amped on. Brand new. I'd, like, wasn't even... Uh, I got it with, like, 600 kilometers or whatever. Didn't even have, like, the full horsepower unlocked yet, you know? Like, what? Like by yeah. a thousand, they I lost where. So I'm driving that, and on the autobahn, and fuck, like that thing, people are just like it's a white wagon, 
you know, for, for all they know. But people just, like, I can tell when the thing is working right, like the right way, the cars in the, in the right lane are you in the middle lane, so to say, they move over with their right wheel into that other lane. So, like, you're parting like the ocean. Like, uh, you understand? You're coming down, and not only are the cars moving out of the fast lane if they're there, they're, they're, the cars that are in the middle lane are also moving over to the right a little bit. So it has this effect that you're just, like, plowing through life, you know? Just like, and, and I'm telling you, that wagon... I mean, there was nothing out there that caught me. There was a pistol that, like, a, like one of these new fancy Ferraris, like the 488 that's all, like, done up, you know? Like, I don't even know what that thing's called. Some Spritziale, Pista, whatever. I saw that thing show up out of nowhere, and it was very red. And I got scared for a second. And then I put the foot down, and the Ferrari was gone. Hey, those, those Mercedes AMG wagons are something else. They always have been. They're just power, yeah, man. It's just power. And just the engine though the car sucks like i'm i'm mercedes i'm very very uh dude it was it was a horrible horrible experience i drove that thing i was in the alps like with like on a family trip full like the car looked like we were traveling for the next six months but it was just like a week's vacation packed to the top right and i don't know my girl like she didn't it's like we got all these suitcases but she decided to bring like 20 bags like i don't know why <laughs> all these bags and and i didn't really didn't really you know, I didn't really see it because in the back of the wagon. But then, with uh, I think 2,000 kilometers or something, um, the gears wouldn't shift anymore. I got like an error message in the Alps, like with a loaded car, that I can't um, shift into reverse anymore. And I was on like a little street in the Alps, and sometimes you know you're driving up, so you got to reverse because like some trucks coming down the mountain or whatever, you know. And so it put me in second gear. Up could drive like 80 uh, back to Zurich, and I just left the car at the airport. And I never, I, I contacted my, you know, my people there, and I never saw it again. But that was my last Mercedes experience. It was, uh, it lasted two and a half thousand kilometers. And it was dead. And, um, <laughs> it was dead. It was dead. Uh, they told me later. Someone sent me an email and said, like the, well, what's called the Steuergerät, like the, the ECU for the for the gearbox, like got smoked, but. It was just. I feel like that's almost service. inevitable for everything new, because there's so many different know, things. It's dude. like you're just. No, I don't doomed. know, man. I drove so many. I've driven so much stuff, and even all my like two years of driving Rolls Royces, like nothing ever, no errors. You know, Bentley, nothing. You know, and those are the ones you'd really like assume, not like some e wagon with a little too much power. You know? Right. But I'm just thinking, like, look, the first thing they did was they, I was up at this, like, fancy hotel, and they sent, like, some dude, like, they outsourced it to some guy who came with, like, a Mitsubishi Pajero, like, you know, like, <laughs> with, like, a fucking flatbed or, like, a trailer, and he had this, like, error code machine with him that looked like he was going on, like, checking, like, a nuclear facility, you know, like, some big tablet, and, like, he didn't even know what kind of car it was, you know? He's like, what is, is this a G-Class? Like in Swiss, German? I was like, nah, E-Class. And then he like error read it and he said he could wipe it. And um, so physically, like, okay, so there's an error message. I got it. They have to physically get like five people involved to get this guy up there with his Pajero to wipe my shitty code. And I didn't even know if it was going to like stay unwiped, which obviously the next day it came back. So it wasn't. 
So think about that in terms of like fast forward two, three, four years when everything's running on software and Mercedes-Benz has such a lousy software uh, that's like a calculator. Uh, you need to manually involve all these humans with like stupid pads to come up and fix your car. Whereas like someone who wrote some clean code, like, you know, okay, arguably people are going to kill me, but Tesla, you know, does that shit over the air, you know, like updates and this kind of stuff. So I think the future will be heavily you know, like dominated in the, in the, in the, in the mobility world, like how good your fucking code is, you know, like how, how, how can you solve the problems of these people in these sort of like too complex machines, um, without too much interruption? You know, I think that's the, the big one, right? That's the big red herring, like why or why not to get some super teched out car? My uh, utopian solution is to just drive a car like mine where you don't need anyone. You know, there's no computers, there's no nothing. You just drive and if it breaks you just kind of fix it or you can fix it anywhere and some basically yeah, but some you know dude, how to fix it yeah i do i, mean, I don't that's, know how to fix it i don't know how to fix shit you know like i can't like even i got like i can't like get the toaster to work you know like i'm not like what am i gonna do like you know like that's like sure that's the ideal alpha man fucking solution but you know like it's 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 limited by the amount of people that have that passion to learn it and uh then there's no one to teach them except well, probably the internet, right? Or you can wear like some fancy glasses and just watch that shit and I'll show you how to do it in AR. But it's just time consuming, right? You know it yourself. It takes a lot of time, sure, sure. takes a lot of money. Talks about, like, you know, you also have your, your, uh, your cars that, you know, you use when that thing isn't working or you're getting it painted for the 50,000th time, which no one <laughs> understands, you know? So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, you have what is like, you know, you have some golf or some like, like those things that always run yep. in the background. Yeah. You know? the, the, in, in the boating world, you call it like the ghost ship. It's the one that carries like all the toys. <laughs> yeah. The reason that like ISIS decapitates like Americans <laughs> exactly. that, that, that carry like you know like for the the dude with the 250 million dollar boat has another like a uh, hundred million dollar boat that carries a submarine yeah <laughs> so you have like your carries the spare you parts your, mechanic no no toys literally like just, oh, just with just like the, um, yeah the, the helicopters yeah, and everything else yeah. yeah cigarettes a couple cats you know like maybe a skater too and like uh you know all the stuff the crew lives on it like but it's right next to the other boat it's, it's yeah, you can't be bothered to have any of that stuff on the comfort cruise. No, I wouldn't. So you're well known for being a filmmaker, and that's that's kind of how I met you was um, with the car stuff, and we met through. I God, I don't even honestly remember, but um, I knew you as a filmmaker then. And there's this like intangible right. thing about your films, and when I see your work, I know that it was that it's a Kippenberger film, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. I can't put my finger on what exactly makes a Kippenberger film distinctly yours can you can you figure it out i mean do you know what it is about your stuff that's so absolutely what is it i'm willing like to lose a couple friends and relationships uh for each film and that's just the way if you studied film in the you know the tail end of analog film or cinema uh where you still needed like uh uh you know some sort of film school or some sort of education to do all this stuff um, and you were up watching like those four hour Martin Scorsese walks you through the film history DVDs. And then you watched like the commentary of that DVD, four hour DVD. And then you watch the other commentary track where like three people are, you know, like you just studied that shit, like 10,000 hours 
it was like taught to us that by all means necessary, you're going to mortgage your house to shoot the Godfather. That's what it took. You know, like you needed like a list, like Coppola had like a rotating list. He kept in his pocket of people he would fire on a weekly basis. So they wouldn't get too powerful within the film that he was producing because everybody was trying to sabotage him and he would like fire these people rotationally, you know, like to, to keep going. Gatekeeping, basically. uh, yeah, well, more like, you know, juggling like grenades and chainsaws like like in in real time. But that was just kind of like how filmmaking was. It was very um first it was everything was like a rip off, you know? Like you had to go to film school, you had to convince your parents or like get borrow some money and then that was fucking expensive and if you didn't have like producer parents in LA or like some sort of connection or whatever, uh it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty uh, lonely sort of thing because yeah, you had to do all this work. I went you know? to school yeah, and I had art school for all this type of shit. And I was like, I can't do this. I'm I'm out here in, in San Francisco alone at this art school and this is pointless. Yeah, I was there too. I was also in San Francisco at the art school. It was awful. And uh, yeah, I hated it, man. I thought I was going to come. There was going to be all these like hot chicks. It was the opposite. It was really horrible. Yeah, and, it was just um, me and a bunch of nerds, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Like... um. Yeah, I lived in this, like, play. I was horrible. I don't even want to think about it. Anyways, yeah, I got kind of, like, depressed. But I didn't start with film. I started with, like, industrial design. I wanted to make furniture. And um, then I kind of moved to the to the film thing because uh, there was, like, a, I don't know. I just kind of got, there was a kid in my one of my classes, and he kind of convinced me to play in one of his films. And I liked. You know, kind of like a narcissist. You know, like, I kind of liked the attention he was getting. And I was standing in these, like, shop classes having to like work with all these toxic resins and like i feel like i said fuck this you know i want to like to be the guy in charge and you know so i I switched the the topics and then i got kicked out of film school for i don't know i was like putting up these stickers with shepherd ferry like he had like he was still coming to san francisco back then he's he's the guy who did the you know the famous like obama hope time cover and he was doing andre the giant and he would come up to san francisco from san diego and do like wheat pasting like at night and i was like kind of in the street art and just kind of like yeah i was like skating and just like into that kind of lifestyle and he gave me like a bunch of stickers and i put them up all over art school and someone like tattletailed on me and like then they called me in i had to sit there with all these like apartment apartment heads (laughs) they were like it's not you what you feel like art school is ever supposed to be. You feel like it's supposed to be I like know. this free spirit, kind of do what you want, emotional thing. Yeah, I was like, a, like a business, business, uh, like for for whoever's owning it. But anyways, they called me in. They told me I gotta, I owe them time to like take down these stickers. They 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 took them down. Now I have to come and clean their shop class. And I had a cleaning business to kind of like substitute my my I don't know my two story loft that I had south of the market. Um, and so I just sent my cleaning ladies. Uh, you know, to do that chore that they gave me, um, uh, this rubbed some guy, like he was, um, he was actually from art center. He was one of these guys who, uh, I never found out later, but he was, he was one of the dudes who, um, did the new beetle and he somehow had some pull with the woman who owned the art school and shit. They let me write my finals and on the last final security came, pulled me out of class and they basically took my IDs away. And I lost that whole semester, and I was like, dude, this is such a fucking scam. Uh, and I got blacklisted from the studio there, and just, oh, no, I had these, like, 
hookers living in the bottom of my building. Like, not even hookers, but they're like very, very high end prostitutes that I was like kind of like this chick I was getting involved with. It was like um, San Francisco is a really dark place if you let it be, you know, get really nasty. And um, I was like, where else is like some douchebag like me gonna go and feel feel good? I went, I moved to LA and um, yeah, that was great, man. I moved uh, on campus, UCLA and so like last kind of like um, class that they were teaching in analog. So we were like shooting on film and just horrible shit, you know, really like we were so like, uh, we were so uh, uh, full of ourselves, you know, but like the stuff we were producing, especially me, which was really bad. And yeah, that was LA in like the late nineties, you know, it was, uh, it, was a, it was an interesting time, uh, kind of very Brett Easton Ellis in, in hindsight. And then I got a job at Cinecite, which was owned by Kodak. And that was like a big deal. Um, it's kind of like working at it like a, like if you were a banker, it'd be like working at like Goldman Sachs. It was like the job you like, you know, you, you people would like fight to intern for. And, um, yeah, just doing like high end post-production. They're like just working on like mission to Mars and Titanic. And, you know, it was like a, it was like a serious thing. And, um, yeah, it was just the, 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 the just wrap it up. They, um, it was like, I witnessed the a traditional company like Kodak, which was like the king, right? Fuji and Kodak ran Hollywood. And they were stuck in this analog world. And they had, this was, the writing was on the wall, you know, it's this digital stuff. And Lucas was coming in and they were talking about creating these like new Panavision cameras for like Star Wars. And they basically sent this like British team in of consultants to kind of like, like clean up Kodak and like save them. And the arrogance of these people that were in charge we're like, we're Kodak. We're never going to, like, fail. We're never going to be out of business. You know, and these Brits, were like, I heard this shit, you know, they're every day, like, listening to these people. They're like, you got to adapt. Like, you got to start thinking along the lines. If you don't adapt, you might not exist in, like, 10 years. You know? And these were, like, people who, like, you know, the people at Kodak, they were just, right. like, they didn't see this. You know, they didn't see it. So I got a, I got a good lesson. Uh, like, you know, like, in this like when it's over it's over you gotta like gotta you know gotta move on so um so you did yeah, where'd you, where like, did you go like, what did you end up doing i moved I, I sold all my shit i was like dating this model i was living in west hollywood it was like super weird times like also again it turned like <laughs> if like um if like san francisco was like my version of like hitchcock my life like hitchcock on like bad drugs like uh la turned into like this version of like david lynch mulholland drive like very <laughs> Very, very weird too. I was a very confused young man, and uh, I sold all my shit, and uh, I moved to Cuba, which what? was like um, <laughs> I, I don't know why, dude. And I like had this great Acura Legend, like all this dope shit and this hot like chick, and like I was like fuck all this stuff and selling everything. It was difficult back then. Like you needed to like travel over a different country. Like nobody was giving like information how this all works. The internet didn't really exist at that point. Uh, that you could just find the shit out really easily. So. Yeah, I traveled there and over Mexico, and I got like super sick, and I almost died, and I was like, "Fuck Cuba!" And I left Cuba, and I, I went back to LA, but I didn't have anything anymore. And so, what I'm trying to get to, a lot of failure. Huh? Yeah. If I like, if I, if I, you know, like a lot of failure, a lot of, a lot of detours. Yeah, but hey, you're uh, banging a model in San Francisco. That's all right. And in Los Angeles. No, no, those were the prostitutes in San Francisco. Oh, that's and, right. and LA was a, <laughs> LA was a model. But same thing. Anyways, the, um, the yeah, but what I'm saying is like this like lifestyle of being a filmmaker back then was like pretty 
even if you like weren't successful, it was like a pain in the ass, you know. And um, that's when I don't know, I got into adult. I was like always into adult, but like more like on the business end of it, you know. So like uh, payment and just compression and, and, and you know the adult industry, which is so like you basically filming like, it at the time. Uh, yeah, I tried, but I just I don't know. I just didn't. It wasn't for me. Like um, too sensitive, you know. So uh, no, I, I, like the the industry side is really like varied. You know, it's like any industry. It's like the tire industry. Like, you know, a bunch of people who are like, it's a product in business. Yeah, but it was also like very like um, I like when always I the part that drew me to it was just the technology aspect of it. You know, since we were doing film and hard drives and you know, like I remember I got my first like external hard drive. I didn't know if I could plug it into the computer and like use it as an external drive. You know, to edit on. You know, like Final Cut or whatever. So like coming into the from the analog to the digital. Uh, I was, I think I was very excited about, about how easy that was to produce film and, you know, um, Do you think the adult industry and how it handled the online digital kind of revolution that happened with filming kind of set the foundation for how everybody else would start doing yeah. marketing films and stuff like that? Well, I don't know about that. It did for me though. So I saw the stuff that was working there and, um, kind of like moved along and I was doing that for a while. And then I even did my own label. It was like, this kind of like within like the porn world well, the content side is like 10%, right? It's like stuff that gets produced by studios. And then it's all about like, you know, how you're distributing that stuff uh, and how you're making, how you're doing your, your, your billing um, back, you know, when you're doing like membership models back then. And I was like really, in, it was just dying, you know, like that whole thing, like tape to DVD to digital, like the whole thing was kind of going downhill. And then there was, um, you know, still like a few, like kind of like Holy grails, um, where like the industry was like, yeah, you just gotta like focus on like gay like, porn. I can't stuff. I'm not really into it. I can't like see that all day long or be involved. Like it doesn't, doesn't you know, it doesn't interest me. Um, but then there's this other segment called like it was like a niche fetish, and it had nothing really to do mostly with sex. It was uh, or penetration. It was kind of like it was more about objectification of stuff, like people who like were in into certain things. So like if foot fetish or smoking fetish or whatever, those are like probably the ones that some people have heard of. But then you got very specific, like, like balloon blowing people that just pedal pump. They sit in their car and they, a woman and she pumps the pedal of the fucking car. And there's this shop network online that, you know, like markets and sells these products. And I was like, Oh my fucking God. Like, this is so fucking bizarre. It's so, um, recession proof you know that's <laughs> i think i'm a big fan of recession proof and i'm sure. a big fan of pa of passive income uh you know because uh, i have a lot of expensive hobbies so i really got into that and then i you know got raised some money to, to kind of start my own label and it was like very extravagant you know like the production style for most of these people was like they'd film their wives or girlfriends at some motel with no like real skills or whatever or aesthetic education you know that was the business model they had their fans they'd buy the show so i was like no you like I talked to some like VC uh, friend of mine from New York and they're like giving me like, you know, a little bit of money to, to finance this shit. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it sounds great. Just do it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we're going to like fly in the models like from like Europe and we're going to like dress them in like couture, like Yves Saint Laurent. We're going to like put them in the fucking Everglades and they're going to blow up a balloon and that's the fucking clip. And, you know, that's a lot of work to fly someone in from Europe just to like drive down into the Everglades and have them blow up a balloon. I actually did that. And, you know, look great, and it was all like I shot it on HD, and it was a big thing. 
you know, we built this website. It wasn't just some website. You know, like you should build an adult website. You buy some package and put it together in a few hours. I like had it programmed in Rails because that was like the code that I like. And people back then were like, Rails programmers were like at Airbnb or, you know, like, like, like serious operations because that was a pretty hard code um, to know. So I convinced some guy to do this off, you know, off hours and build me this like beautiful website and these like, in my opinion, beautiful clips. And then when we launched it, like it took like a year, like, you know, 20 hour days, like losing my mind. Um, it was a fucking huge failure, like beyond, <laughs> <laughs> beyond anything. Like the people in that community who I was trying to like sell this shit to, they like called me a charlatan and like a fraud and like, this isn't how this looks. And like, like, wait, I'm doing this for you. Why? <laughs> I'm doing this for you. I put my like fucking like year and a half of my fucking life in this. And um, it's very expensive too, you know, so I was so like down about that whole thing. You know, I sold like two memberships to like friends, you know, <laughs> and then uh, I don't know. I like moved back to Germany, to Berlin at the time. And um, it's kind of like just kind of floating, you know, and uh, my friends were like, like, what's up, Chris? You know, like, what do you want to do? And like, why don't you just do what you want to do? I was like, like okay, kind of like cars and stuff. And they're like, yeah, you should come with us to like uh Nordschleife, we have a house there just hang out you know and, like just check it out and i was like oh okay so i don't know if any for the people that haven't been to Nordschleife, like it's really a horrible place i mean the 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 whole area around it it's like not just some racetrack you show up to and you see it all in front of you it's like five six villages over like you know a couple hundred square miles like it feels like it you know just the whole thing it's a big and place people around, don't realize how it's, vast it yeah. is yeah, it's like David, it's like Twin Peaks, like, you know, you kind of like go there and you hear something there, like a big noise, and then you see a little bit of like a bridge, and then you're back in some other village, and you're like, what the fuck was that? And then you drive up a mountain, and then you see the, like the entrance, and you're like, what, what's this? Like, it's, 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 it, it's different than I imagine it. So we went there, and we were driving some nice cars, actually. We were driving a, like a really nice uh, Mitsubishi Lancer, and a a GT2, a 997. Uh, so serious, serious uh, firepower. And yeah, I was just doing a couple ride-alongs, just hanging out there, and I was just really disgusted by the whole thing, and I left again. And then, I don't know, late, while I was there, someone convinced me they, like to like come back and film something for them, like some event guy. I was like, yeah, okay, but this is all fucking super lame here, but whatever, I'll, I don't have anything to do, and I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So this date came up where I was supposed to go there and I was like rented a red or something. I was like super big, like one of these ones, you know, so heavy. I was like, this sucks, dude. And <laughs> like, you know, like then I, the night before I left, I was like scrolling the internet and I saw this kid flying a drone. And I was like, back th like back then drone was like, didn't exist in like common knowledge. It was, was this like, like you know? 2005 no. kind of, or what? what yeah. yeah two, okay. four, two, five, something like that. And, like, nobody knew about this shit. And, like, some film dudes, like, but it was all hobby. It was, like, these hobby, like, pilots that were flying, like, helicopters and shit. So, like, like remote control guys. So they don't want the thing to fly. They always want it to be broken so they can repair it, you know? It's, like, a thing. So, um... Just like my car. <laughs> yeah, your car. See some similarities. Anyways, this, like, called this kid up or texted him or whatever. And I said, hey, I'm going to this place, which is, like, five or six hours away from where we are. Um, so he was like, yeah, okay, whatever, but like, I'm going to be somewhere else in Germany tomorrow. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just come pick you up. And he was like, all right. And so I picked this kid up 
some young kid from like East Germany and picked him up, put him in the car. We drove over there and filmed some shit and flew the drone around a little bit. And then, I don't know, I, I gave the, the material away to get edited and gave it to these people and they were stoked. And then nothing really happened. I didn't really think of anything, but I was following Jalopnik at the time, which was like kind of like coming up as this sort of place where all the car people hung out. And that's what you kind of, I knew this from, you know, from my, like adult stuff, you need the dedicated traffic for your product. If you just put the thing up online, no one, like, it's, no one's going to find it. Back then, before social media, you know, like, there were still URLs kind of, like, responsible for getting your traffic. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to do, I was sitting there and just kind of, like, had all this material, and I edited the sizzle kind of thingy of, like, drone footage of the Nordschleife. And so I uploaded it, and I sent it to, uh, who did I send it to? Raul, like, uh, Raphael Orlov at, at Jalopnik. He was like an intern at the time. And I sent it to him. He posted it on like Christmas Day or something. And it just blew up. And then I knew I had it. You know? I knew I had the code. I was like, this is it, dude. Because nobody had ever seen anything like this before. Like if you go, on, if you go now Me and neither. you look at that video. Of, if you can go on Jalopnik, anybody can Google it and go find it. And it's kind of yeah. just, this is drone film of, of the Nürburgring. But no yeah. one had ever seen anything like that before outside of a helicopter shot at a at like yeah. a at an endurance race because nobody's going to take a helicopter on a friday and go over there and just film it you know it it has to be a big production but you, you can just go do whatever you want yeah, with you, but, yeah it was nuts dude. it was nuts and full of wobbles and you know back then they didn't have drones like in the like wherever like down at the fucking walmart you had to like order the shit and like it all came in like chinese writing or taiwanese you had to like like translate the shit in google and like use a soldering iron like it was like it was very hands-on and like was, the shit didn't fly and i don't know now this stuff's so like foolproof and it just you push a button yeah, it's all about gimbals and, and everything but back, now yeah but back then shit dude the software wasn't like correct you know so like if one motor was off and everything wobbled and the camera didn't have the stabilization yet and like rolling shutter and all this shit it was very quick to get up so it was a very it was like getting reminded of like analog film when you get that back you just don't really know really what, if, what you're really getting uh, 100%. So that was really dope. And then... Did you know I, like, it was something that was going to be it. crazy when you did it and you saw the footage and you... No. Okay, so you just were like, no. oh, this is just is what it is? No, I knew I could exploit it, you know, because I was like off coming off of those like two, three years of like failure of like my whole like, you know, this like high-end fetish business not working. And um, then just kind of like let loose and felt like Mozart, like writing his Requiem, you know, it's like up like 24 hours a day just producing for like the next, um, you know, feels like year or two. And what happened was like, uh, wasn't immediate success, you know, like people like it was a transition in my life where I was like, I saw it. I knew I could like capitalize on this whole thing. And I knew I could, I knew like how far that I could take it pretty far. But the people, my closest friends, the ones I talked to like every day, kind of like, you know, the people you have to telling you about, you're telling them about your dreams. These were the people that were like, yeah, I don't know. Hey, Chris, you know, maybe she could do an internship again. Like, you know, and I was like, what? I got like this crazy shit. It's fucking sick. It's going to be, I'm going to take over this whole fucking show. They wanted you to and, do something safe. Yeah, I don't know. Or like this, like uh, separation anxiety or whatever it is in people. But um, I had to quit all these people. And it was hard because these were people like lifelong friends who just were spoiling like my, like in P.T. Anderson's film, I think it's like the one with L. Ron Hubbard with, you know, like there's the sub narrative where there's this guy who's always sick 
and he has a personal doctor and the personal doctor is supposed to like take care of him. But it comes out in the end that the doctor is the one poisoning him the whole time, like in his pee or whatever, you know? And that's how I felt like with this situation with like these people in my life who were all good people. And I separated in love and like not in a bad way, but I needed to separate myself from these people in order for whatever it was me to have the time to first of all do all this shit but also the universe to like you know like let it go and let it move and we cranked out one film after another and like it we're making these things look like you know hundred thousand dollar productions or whatever but it was just the two of us this little this eastern academy and two people instead of 25 or 30 people yeah it was nuts and like you know weird like our first little films were like thousand five hundred dollar budget or whatever you know like we needed to really stretch those <laughs> stretch those gas miles and and uh you know fast forward like five years i'm getting paid like 25k a day for seven days to stand around and like you know supervise some bmw drive around in circles at the other end of the world you know and that's you know that was then filmmaking you know the, the other filmmaking that i got to know in my career but those early days were were um were you know were hard you know they were hard and like for the it's like the gear like I don't even know how a motor works, but like, like you know, <laughs> it's just rotating, you know, it's in neutral. Like there's no, the, the clutch hasn't like deployed, you know, like you're, you're, you're not in gear. So at some point, um, after like the third or fourth or fifth film, like it went in and then I got the call to like, you know, fly down to like Stuttgart and kiss the ring. And, and then I got introduced to, you know, the, Sw- the Swabian mafia, uh, way of doing things. And, um, that was that we you know went from shooting these little films to bigger films and bigger films and you know at the end um we were competing with you know all the other guys that needed all these people to produce that shit and it was just you know me and this kid and all the all the like failure that i'd had the last couple years you know it was just like it felt like such a relief you know like i thought i was gonna die like a frustrated um you know unaccomplished you know, filmmaker in my head, you know, like not getting that out, not, not having lived my version of my dream, what I wanted to do, you know, whatever it was, you know? And so when, just to answer the question from beginning on, I think that's probably, you know, like what, you know, sets when I look at my stuff, at least sets apart just my crazy ride and my, the crazy way that I produce a lot of that stuff is even till today. Uh, or what the project you were involved with where, you know, like we had like a chat and then all of a sudden you're in Germany, like in some scenario you probably wouldn't have expected, you know, or like just, I do, I do like my stuff like more inefficiently <laughs> and uh, more complicated than necessary. And that's where the, in my opinion, the stuff that I like to watch is that last 5% that no one's willing to do because they're scared to lose their job or lose their wife or lose their friends or lose their whatever. And um, I never really cared about that stuff. You know, I, you know, I can kind of relate to that a little bit because when we, when I came out and the project you're talking about is the piece I wrote for Triple Zero Magazine of Akit Manshite, who's head of Bugatti. And you said, hey, well, let's do this article on this. And I said, yeah, I'll come. And I remember you saying, it's just beware. You know, he's a busy dude. He may, when you come, it may not happen. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take the risk. I'm going out there anyway. I could lose money, but I just, I wanted it so bad. And I thought it was going to be such a cool piece and it ended up turning out great, but it, it took risk. I had to, you know, I had to sacrifice to be able to do it. Yeah, man. Nobody knew, like including myself. Like, I didn't know. I had no idea. 
like that. I meant that. Like I really didn't know like if that was going to happen or not. And if it would happen, I knew it was going to be good, but you know, you're never sure, dude. There's so many times, you know, like you're like, how do you say like, you know, like, um, you want to hear like God laugh, like tell him about your plants, you know, like how many times, like, like you know, you, you fucking put some shit together and it just doesn't work. And, um, these days, I don't know. It's just people. I'm just afraid. like going through a list in my head of all the shit that has failed for me. You know, I'm yeah. just thinking about my, my just like a little cross, like off the fucking, you just draw a line through it and move on to the next thing. I don't know. To me, yeah, well, it comes in cycles these days, but, you know, it's a little bit like gaining altitude, you know, like when you're in the, going a little higher above all the turbulences, to me, it's it's felt like that's been the, the overall theme, you know, where um, just in life, um, it's, uh, it gets less, less, less bumpy. But when it gets bumpy, it's really bumpy. It feels even more hard because I'm, you know, more used to the smoothness now. So when it gets out of, when, you know, something comes out of whack, um, I don't know. I'm more in tune to, to kind of, I know I'm not, I don't know. I still don't know what I'm doing, but there's, it feels like there's longer periods of, um, like chillaxing, you know? Right. I, I feel know. like I'm in the back of a box truck and driven around right now with no seatbelt. In terms of turbulence. Yeah, okay, no, no. <laughs> okay, okay. No, more like, more like G550. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I'm on my way to the airport. Uh, uh, so over the last 10 years, the power paradigm has shifted from we, 10, 15 years. So we talk about like you starting out in 2005 and kind of skyrocketing in your career with filming and stuff like that. But I feel like the the paradigm has shifted away from the, the creatives that are making the content and gone towards corporations and and uh and agencies and and the algorithm and stuff like that is this ever gonna go away are we stuck with this or what are we gonna do because right now it, it it's awful like for there's there's companies in germany that i try to work with where you get a lot of yes but then you're just you feel like you're it's almost like you're in in a in a hallway with all these doors that don't have any writing on them and you open the door and you think it's the thing you want but it's not so then you have to go open another door and pretty soon you're fucking lost and you don't know what's going on and it's almost like you're beating a head against your against the wall with some of these entities because of the the way that the algorithm exists and the way that they want it to see and the way that everything is kind of based on stats now, right? You have to be able to show numbers and and specifics and mathematics of why your creative thing is going to work. And I feel like it's just destroying everything. Um, yeah, good question. I don't know. I mean, what's next? Uh, I, mean, I have no idea. Like the hula hoop or like the slinky. Like, I don't know. You know, to me, it's just, um, I do have, I mean, even though I'm a pretty cynical person, I do have hope and kind of like certain things that don't seem like they're going to change, um, can change, you know? Um, and, uh, it's also up to the individuals, um, you know, to kind of, you know, you're not happy with it. Uh, think of some ways to do it differently and give some other person uh, who's not happy about it uh, some inspiration to, you know, participate in that and um, get outside that, that area. You know, if we're talking about like a bunch of creatives, like the effects of, well, what is it? It's financial, right? So like you're talking about how as a creative, are you going to get, be let to the, to the, to the goodie bag with the money so you can do you know what you need to do and these guys who you know are or were i think it's not even it's post r 
were in charge, it's getting a, a little bit away from them, were in charge of controlling these corporate funds. We're a bunch of guys that we had these people when I was skateboarding. They weren't really good enough to like skateboard. So they became like a photographer or like a cameraman or whatever, camera woman. And never really the cool guys though. You know, they're kind of like the essential, kind of like the same way as you need those uh, birds on top of like, uh, you know, certain water buffalo in the Serengeti, you know, like they have a function. But they're reproducing basically. They're not producing. So they're basically just kind of editing um, versus, uh, versus, versus, versus like bringing value. So now just to separate that real quick into now, fast forward to answer your question, you see something like, you know, the financial instrument moving away from the little bit and creators being rewarded via something like Patreon or whatever, which the same way as PayPal, which also started an adult, um, gets bought, got bought by eBay. And then you get a new, get an email one morning and it says like the new TNCs and you can't like pay each other anymore for porn. Um, you know, you have to understand like this patron thing. I've been kind of like involved in some of the talks on the more corporate jargon, you know, kind of like that world. They're all like pushing this thing. I remember when Airbnb came to Berlin and they like recruited a bunch of us to kind of like promote their new platform. And it was like, yeah, this is going to like democratize like, like the way you like stay somewhere and like freedom and whatever. And then they like sell out and then everything's all fucked up and they ruin the world. The same way with, with, with Patreon right now, like they're like promoting this, like the creative can do whatever they want until Facebook buys them or until, you know, like, and then, you know, like that gets put, put off. And also the numbers we're seeing there, unless you're like, like one of these girls, like dressing up in cosplay and like putting, crossing your eyes, you know, they're still humble, you know, and it, it's, it's more of a, a tip, you know, not, not, not the, the, the paycheck. Right. So I, I see some, some, it's an indication, like a crack in the, in the or the cat in the matrix, you know, like that it, it's possible. Like we're still living in that simulation or whatever. It's still going, but there's, there's a, there's a glitch, you know? And, um, man, I saw this shit when I was like working with, um, with, uh, you know, one of the guys, down in, uh, in Stuttgart, um, they were very fat. They were the first people to do a configurator for the car online. And people, the, I know the guy who, who, who spearheaded that project, they laughed at him in the, in the, where they go and eat lunch, you know, like a kind of like a, like a high school, kind of like, like that kind of seat, you know, there's a cool people table and they laughed at this guy with the configurator. They said, that ain't going to go anywhere. That's just like, not, not, <laughs> not, not. This team relevant, that means like it's not relevant to the system. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so these guys started with that. And not to say, you know, the configurator obviously did work. And now, you know, you kind of judge the brand by how good the configurator is. Um, they started like pushing money towards uh, online. And what they identified was that they need to herd up these sort of people on the periphery um, that weren't quite journalists, right? They were these, they were called bloggers, you know? So they, they got a whole little kind of like a, like a press team together of people that they would, in German, we used to say like, schreiben uh, für meilen. So it means like you don't get paid because of compliance. You get miles in order to write, right? And then you get like a business class ticket to somewhere in, in Europe and then they rent like something and they have their cars there and you drive it and then you do like your little thing. And then 
this became like a thing, 2006, seven or whatever. And maybe those dates are all wrong, but it's around, it feels like it was back then. And then that whole thing kind of, that thing was born. And these were like the first guys and nobody else was really doing it. Like uh, it took the others like ages to, to kind of square up on that. If you think about the other people, the other guy in Stuttgart um, doing the two-seater, they were pretty late to the game as far as uh, their whole like digital deployment and creation. It was still like being run by like a few of the family members and like, you know, you were like, wow, this fucking cars are great, but why do they have such horrible music and their fucking clips and like who fucking produced this shit? And they're like, yeah, well, if you want the job, you're going to have to use this music. Otherwise you're not getting the job. You're like what? It was like Mulholland drive where, where they're like, you're going to like take, you're going to cast this girl. Otherwise we're going to ruin your life. We're going to like take your, everything you have, and we're going to like kill you. Um, and you're like, but what do you mean? It's just, <laughs> so anyways, um, that it was, feels they like were, they almost have this like carrot on the stick now where they're like, oh, you want to drive these cars? You want to do this? Well, yeah. you know, you're going to have to yeah. do it our way or or you can just not do it. Yeah, yeah. They have an indirect way of doing that, um, which is effective. But look, dude, I think I think that's like past. It's not like doesn't seem like present. Like that seems like it's still there. And to some people, it's still very new or that's just the way it is. But to me, that's like some that ain't working on me anymore kind of you know as a consumer as like a creative observer i'd say i'm not a, i'm not responsible creatively i get hired when the mess is there you know they come uh they come knocking even though i tell them from beginning on you have to do it like this this and this and they don't give me the job and they give it to someone else and then the thing doesn't work later and i go back and tell them look i told you so <laughs> and then they hire me to fix it right and i fix it and then they're still not listening. So it's like someone that like is do like has a problem, hires you to fix it, and then knows everything better. It's like a very strange. Well, my the whole culture of that culture is based on deceit and lie. You know, that's like the way that it was presented from the boss who is no longer with us. But you know, these were people that these are still results from people who like were running the show before. You know, like Bernie Eccleston, like in Formula One, like these kind of people don't exist anymore because they've been eradicated by journalists more or less. Um, and they're kind of out and they got enough money that they don't care, but where they die. Um, and then I don't know, like it feels like this is their mess. That's still kind of active. And now the market or the world is kind of correcting itself, right. Through um, kind of like, feels like we're just too many animals, in the in the farm you know like uh with what comes in like something like mixed with travel too much free travel and too many animals on the farm uh uh, pandemic sickness and then readjustment of values and death so um i think that's all going parallel um when i speak with these people they pretend like there's nothing wrong like i don't know why i got into my head but i was like i want like this new g-wagon blah 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 maybe i'm gonna get a deal because you know corona the world's ending maybe these people have finally come to their senses and you know they're gonna give me give me a great deal on that car so i get in touch with them and they're like nah like the earliest one you can have is like fourth quarter 2021 and i was like what and, and then they're like, yeah, well, it's a very popular car. And I was like, okay. And then I spoke with another person. And they're like, yeah, they just had like a huge callback internally because like whoever they had like installing the dashboards, like they were all faulty. So they had to recall like the current, the whole current back. So 
these cars aren't available. They're like in, they're being fixed because someone messed them up. Same way they messed up my like E63. It's probably it's the same, you know, same team. So there's a little bit of disconnect on that one. Then the guy comes back to me and said, gives me some crazy quote on the on the car. And I was like, yeah, sorry, I'm not interested. And he said, yeah, well, you know, we don't really have to kind of be too worried because like, you know, like, like, again, like we're like Mercedes. You know, it reminded me a lot of that. We're Kodak on a moment, you know, where it's just like, yeah, you, no one's too big to fall or fail. You know, ask the whale blubber guys, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean, like that shit, like you're not, no one's immune. So anyways, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll send it to you. Maybe you can like insert it somehow. These numbers that I just wanted to see, what are the numbers? on Mercedes. So they were like in the whole before Corona, a loss of like over a billion bucks, right? So that means that before this whole thing happened, they weren't doing too well compared to before when they were like in the plus of like 2 billion. Then since the new quarterly things came out, last, the numbers came out uh, like two weeks ago or 10 days ago, again, a billion and a half in the hole. So to me, for someone who doesn't know too much about numbers, and I think I had economics in one of the fucking like 10 schools that my parents paid a lot of money to go to, uh, it doesn't seem like a good thing, right? It doesn't seem like a, that's what you want when you have a big multi-corporation, right? Like a multinational corporation, you don't want to like be billion, like a billion in the hole, right? No, it's that's not a good look. Yeah. So that's kind of like the reality versus like what's being presented versus the, the arrogance. So I'm just like- Well, a luxury brand can't be seen as suffering. You know, that's not, that's yeah, not a good is, look for them. What is- yeah, but what is luxury? Luxury is some word made up whenever of like chocolate covered strawberries and like a champagne flute being something that's hard to obtain. But hey, you could probably go down to the store right now and get that shit. You know, it's not like that ain't they're selling us or trying to sell some version of something that doesn't even exist anymore. And they in the meantime, their cars don't work, you know, or you can't get one. So like like I don't know. That to me isn't luxury. That's like that's that's the opposite of luxury like arrogance and, and and bad quality and that in history usually didn't go too far yeah so yeah, for sure even with like let's say you have a good product right and like right now i'm dealing again with the other stuttgart person <laughs> and um they're being for the first time like rather flexible about something where i told them i'm not interested in purchasing one of their too expensive cars but i'm I, I drive it and i don't want it for free but stop this bullshit with like this like these this papers and like 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 whatever like you know like let's find some way like that's not like that old way and the germans they do this thing interestingly enough i was dealing with someone in munich the week before because i wanted this other car and they were basically like ran us through the mill like and basically gave us like an anal probe on bookkeeping and then in the end decided they're only giving us the car if we're going to give them a fifteen thousand dollar get this deposit not like a you know like a payment towards the yeah. the principal so basically they like to port us even though you know for whatever reasons i don't want to talk about here for the public the books are the way the books are so what I'm saying is that like it doesn't it's not enough to have a good product. It's about how are you making this accessible 
to the next generation of if they're even still going to be drivers, which they still are for probably right now in the next 10 years, how are you going to get these people into like a product? How are you going to get them like driving that thing around? Uh, how are you going to make that interesting for them? And um, that's, in my opinion, the challenge that is way before any sort of like blue check mark event photographer taking pictures of your product on a lake in St. Moritz and telling people that's what people should want. Do you think people are buying so that's it? What you should, that's, what, that's what you should work for in life to be able to attain this fake version of something that maybe functioned in the 50s but in, or for a short amount of time in a certain town, but it's, it's, it's long past its prime and it's just a facade of, of, of some... I don't know, like uh, some con. I don't know. It all seems a bit facade. It seems weird. Is that going to move cars is what I'm saying. Is that Instagram account that we're talk, like, talking about here uh, in general, the, 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 number, the people with the numbers, are they going to move these cars? Like, because I wouldn't know how they are. Okay, maybe in America it's a little different because you have the like, credit score and you can like, lease something fairly easy and they have other programs where you can like, in this case, there was a, a program we developed for Audi, which would enable people to, you know, get whatever fucking car they want from Audi, uh, what they want to pay for. And they get three cars delivered per year, fully insured, turnkey, get delivered to your house. When you're done with it after three months, they bring you another one. And you could choose anything from like an A1 to an R8, whatever you can afford, you know, mm-hmm. accessibility. And they had this in America for, you know, this, these guys from Stuttgart I'm talking about, um, they, they also introduced a program like that. So there are more options in, in, um, in financing in, in America. But for instance, in Europe, uh, it's still very um, legacy. You know, it's like, like kind of like these the Germans like this thing of like, you can only buy what you can afford. Like, you know, like, like, the, sh- like the sort of shaming or, you know, like kind of, I don't right. know what, what the fuck is well, that. The, nobody, like, the, like, the I, perception from us is that nobody buy, has a credit card over there even, you know, it's this weird. Uh, thing. The Germans are fucking filthy rich is on top of it. You know, that's, that's, you got to say that, but um, that doesn't help them when they're trying to market cars to like, you know, there's only so many of these cars that are going to be sold in, in Germany just due to, the you know the limitation of uh of population but like what about the markets where you know they need this to work uh north america china right. uh parts of south america when they're not like killing each other whatever the fuck they're doing down there burning down the the, the forest um but like how like like how connected is the pretty instagram account with the, you know the pictures how is that route? Okay, maybe it's moving a few units. I wouldn't even disagree with that. But these are probably people who own not just one of these cars. They own maybe 20 of them, you know? And they're going to buy whatever they bring out. So, like, these people, yeah, they're essential in a way that maybe this was important at some point in, in society. But moving forward, it's going to become less and less uh, important. Like, I, I don't think that when I see like my girl who I don't even know what age she is, but I think she's a lot younger than me. Uh, when I see her friends, um, they don't even have driver's license, you know? And if they do, they don't like, you told them they're going to have to pay for the next 
15 years for to own like something they're going to use to get to work, they'd probably laugh at you. They'd be like, what are you fucking talking about? Right. So that narrative of, um, that, that's been, you know, pushed down people's throats. It's going to like the cat in the matrix. It's going to like, people are going to like wake up a little bit and just not do it. And, um, that I see that I'm personally, I'm just more in touch with that world rather than the, like the same way I wasn't really that involved in the, in the adult world with the content, which is very important. It's the stuff that's being sold at the shop, but it's the 10%, the 90% that, you know, goes into marketing this product and, you know, kind of paying for it and deciding what's going to happen in the next couple of years with that product. Um, that's more the side that I think needs the big change rather than the, you know, kind of like I'm talking about the whole body and the, and the digestion and, and, and intake and, you know, extra right. like excrement. Uh, the other part is just the reaction that the skin makes when um, when all that stuff's in, in order or not order, and that would be like creative the stuff you see on the outside on the skin. And to me, that's just um, I don't know. It's maybe just because I've been in like you know I've been in that world for a long time, and uh, most people I know that could afford anything too, they really don't care. Like they get a golf, you know, or like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Has a golf too. I think what's happening is if you look at the, you know, what we're talking about with the Instagram account for some of these, you know, these companies and stuff like that, is they feel like they still need to try because, as you say, the young, the younger people, they don't even need a car. They don't want a car. They're not going to pay for 15 years to to go to fucking Trader Joe's. They're not going to do it. So instead of selling a car to them, they are selling an idea of. Uh, of a romantic thing to them. They maybe feel like that's a better way to market the product is you're not buying a car, you're buying a lifestyle, you're buying an idea. Well, what is that even? You know, like, I don't know. I, like, I'm just, I'm just day, saying, I've I think that's what to... they're doing. What's lifestyle? Like, what does that mean? Like, well, you're, you're, you're you aspire to be like someone month. else. You aspire to be the guy that's at the chalet and wherever traveling and you've got your, you know, like or whatever. Exist, dude. No, they don't exist. Those are just like, that's like what poor people think rich people do. It's like the Cheesecake Factory or uh, anything with Trump. Like that doesn't exist. That's just like some rich people don't aspire to be anything. They want to be left alone. And uh, No, but poor people not. aspire to be rich and middle class aspires to be rich. I don't know. Is that true? I think like middle class is like busy surviving do they want to be rich? I don't know. I'm just looking at Do it they? from the perspective of these marketing entities that are doing it. I'm trying to fi- I'm trying to get in their head and figure out what they're doing, what they're thinking. And that's the only thing I can think of is selling ideas instead of products and then just tying the product to the idea or the aspiration or nature of it. I don't know. I don't know. I like I went to like a high school in like Florida. I don't have like the the knowledge to or want the knowledge to even come close to what these people are possibly thinking or what was instructed for them to think you know like uh i'm more of a uh, a blunt brush stroke you know what i mean like uh, i observe all this shit i get to participate on very high levels for reasons unbeknownst to me um and i just sort of you know kind of check it out and like form some sort of opinion about it but I don't know. I'm more interested that like some of the shit goes away and doesn't come back and Elon Musk like moves his rocket fleet ahead, you know? I like right. I I saw some shit up with him on like Rogan where like 
like they're talking about like houses or like why he's selling all these houses and if he doesn't like houses and I don't know. And he's like, no, he's like super into houses and that's why he has like six and they're all like pretty special. And if he were to build a house, it would probably be the most special house in the fucking world, but it would take away too much time uh, from his primary objective, which is getting people to Mars. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think I'm more like, yeah, whatever. Let these dudes duke it out. And I'm sure the system will correct it somehow or not. But like how much of this is having an impact on my momentary serenity or well-being or financial impact of any or my, you know, happiness. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's it, talk it about, do you want to really, talk about a vehicle a little bit before we go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was just, um, that's the current offering that I'm doing more as kind of like, I don't know, sort of like a, a housewife would like maybe open like a flower shop or something, you know, it's just something to kind of. What, what is kinda, it? Describe what know, it is to us. It's a 200 page um, art catalog quality publication. Fancy word of saying magazine. Um, it's printed in Germany by Germans. Um, which I don't know if people are aware, unaware, but most magazines that, that they get a hold of are produced in guess China, China. Yeah. And I sometimes feel like I'm going to get like poisoning through my fingers when I go through them. Um, so first of all, this, this, uh, the, the object itself is a analog object. And, um, it's sort of, it started with like, we need a place where we can like tell people that are. We want like stuff from that they're going to be like featured, but we don't want it to be digital, um, which was the thing I, I when Instagram first started, I was like, I don't want to I don't have time for this shit. I'm like out here like busting my ass, making my little shitty films. I don't have time to like like make up some fake uh, like presence online. So I didn't have that to offer uh, people. Um, so I kind of like shot, you know, like in, in L.A. Confidential or something. He's like, shoot a hostage. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so like, I was like, all right, we're going to do this fucking like fancy magazine with no ads though. And we're just going to like tell people if they're nice to us and give us their jet or whatever we need, they'll maybe be featured in it. That was kind of the, the reasoning behind the whole thing. Well, it actually started with Rolls Royce because like I had this other, I was doing this consulting job or like this, this art project for Rolls Royce for two years. And I like started, I did this revenge porn kind of like uh, zine. Uh, which is called How a Rolls-Royce Fucks with Your, with Your Brain. And it's just my experience with, like, Rolls-Royce for two years. And, like, I don't know, being too stingy to, like, tell a psychologist that for, like, two years I, like, made this zine. And I was like, I like, kind of like this publishing thing because, like, people can't, like, unfollow you. They can't unlike you. They can't, like, write some shitty comment or, like, I don't know, say you meet to them. I don't know, whatever. Like, <laughs> I, right. I like the format. So um, that's where the vehicle thing came about because it's just, the zine was sort of kind of like it was nice, but it was a zine and it worked because we had like this really high end product in it. But I knew that I needed like something a little bit more polished if I wanted to turn this into something like remotely kind of like sustainable. So we did that and we put in, I was like, all right, let's do some, I got hired by this power, offshore powerboat company to do like some consulting. And like, I was like, what the fuck dude? someone in Berlin like, like approaches me and I get some, I get quite a few people that like kind of catfish me. 
on like business deals, like just the craziest stories. I should like write like a whole, we could talk about it for an hour. But this guy, he was like, come and meet me at this cafe. I have this like offshore powerboat company. I need some help with it. Like, Berlin, like some, uh, this is insane. I'm going to go. If it's like fake, it's, at least it's a good story. Meet this kid. He bought the rights to this like famous offshore powerboating company. It was uh, called Kema. They had like a woman driver like in the 70s who won the world championship, Betty Cook. It was like a big thing. And I like, I was like, all right, sure. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go fly to Florida. You know, like look at these offshore powerboat races in Key West. You know, tell me if you like it and if you want to come on board. All right, let's go. Flew over there, checked it out. It was pretty cool. I was like, all right, this is fucking great. This is like car, like cars when I came to the car world. Like that nobody has their shit together. It's a bunch of fucking like racists racing boats. Uh, no fucking content like whatsoever. I'm gonna like this is like perfect. So we came on board, started consulting them on this thing, and uh, watching this guy trying to like build like a um, yeah, 52 all carbon. Uh, like high tech boat, and I just saw it. it's not gonna work, dude. You know, you need a lot of money for that. So I was like, I'm gonna build like a smaller boat, uh, 20 foot. We just finished it, uh, with the 300 on it. So like very small boat, big engine. Like what is, I like. It is cars, wicked, too. man. I mean, it just looks it's like, sick. yeah, it looks like a noose, going honestly. In, going in the, yeah, running in the in the in the low hundreds. So <laughs> anybody that knows, going 100 miles an hour on the water is it's insanity, undescribable. It's it's like telling someone they're gonna do 400 in a car, like in a station wagon, like it's just, it's very strange. Um, so we built, I, I started building this boat and then I was like, all right, so we're just going to talk about this boat in the, in the magazine and then about boat building. And then like, I was like, boat stories. Okay. Boat like Kramer, who, who was back then Apache cigarette, the guy from Apache supposedly hired someone to kill the, the owner of cigarette, Don Aaron. Yeah. So here's a cool story. And it's fragmented. Everybody has an opinion on it, but there's not, it's not, doesn't live in one place. So I hired this kid who, you know, way smarter than me and knows how to write and like use capital letters and small, like all like just knows how to do that stuff. And so he spent like six months researching this shit and like put it together in a dossier. It's like investigative journalism, 30 pages. And that's kind of the heart of this current publication. Now we have the boat in there and I want to get more into it, like doing my life now is like doing stuff in real life so like i like to do the whole thing and then there's a documentation about it and started with Achim and his like whole thing actually so like i was like i need more in real life products so i did a truck too the g-wagon like a swiss military uh restoration the restaurant mod put a v8 in there with a close to 500 horsepower and that thing is towing that little boat um that that was the idea so, but those are the things that are like in the magazine, their product, like it's great, man. I, I look at it. It's just kind of this, uh, I don't know if avant-garde is the right term or not, but it's, it's different and it's in, in a good way. Usually you say different, you think of like a fork that's bent that you can't even use it, but it, it's different in a good way that it, it, it kind of stimulates your mind, uh, in a way that, you know, picking up most magazines, there's no possible way it would do that. And honestly, digital format doesn't do that either. Holding it in your hand and paging through and looking at it. It, it, it's really good. You did a great job with it. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, it was a real pain in the ass. You know, like the um, doing these magazines. Like, if you want to do it that way, that we did it. Uh, you know, we only printed like I think a thousand, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're physically confronted with a thousand of anything, like being delivered to your doorstep on like pallets <laughs> off a truck, uh, it's a lot. Let me tell you. And we're almost sold out, so that's kind of a good sign. Uh, they're getting less and less. There's only a few boxes left. Um, and the idea is basically that once that's done, 
we revised it a little bit. A few things that you know come added to the narratives that were in the in the in the current issue. So in real life, the boat is now finished. The truck's finished. Those updates will be in the in the um, in the next volume. So it's still the same piece, just with a slight adaptation. And um, yeah, it's a it's it's interesting, man. I mean, let me tell you, those thousands, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to know what that cost to print. Like I'm talking like I can guess. I mean, I've Ford, I've looked Ford into Mustang. doing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, like... it's it's expensive, man. I looked into doing my own book because I couldn't get anybody to publish what I wanted to do, uh, and I just went, no. oh fuck, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, it's a commitment, and thank God my uh, my girl like studied um, graphic design, and you know it's just basically again like me and the drone guy. It's me and like my woman like doing this stuff. So it's really something we we uh, take a lot of pride in. And, uh, it's a real big pain in the ass and, um, and it's, and yeah, it's great. And, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. If you guys want to buy one of the last few, um, I've right. got a couple, I bought one for some friends and stuff like that. It's, it, it kicks ass. It's a great, uh, it's a great thing for the coffee table. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. I mean, I'll keep you posted. Uh, I always, um, I always enjoy our, our little, uh, you know, not too deep, a uh, little chat dialogue that we have in, uh, in real life. And I guess we're just going to... A little more PC this time be... than usual, but uh, that's how it's got to be. Oh, I cleaned it up a lot, man. <laughs> I was like, I really had to meditate an hour before we talked. But um, <laughs> yeah, we got to see. You know, this is all like we're not saving lives here. You know, which, I mean, I, I don't want that to come across that way or insensitive. Yeah. You know, like, I, I'm very thankful for just being alive, really. It's like, uh, it's an it's a, it's a interesting time. Um, to be alive, uh, it always is, but sometimes more feels more, or just feels very like very special at the moment. I'm 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 very thankful that for all the things that happened up to this point, you know, like like the the midlife crisis that is actually like a good one. You know what I mean? Like right. I feel like like all those failures, all the failures. If I could put it down in one sentence, like what that is that like I see in my work that uh, might be a little different or whatever. It's just a bunch of failure, dude, and getting through it, you know? Dude, thanks so much for letting me call you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. We'll speak soon, yeah? All right. Take care of yourself. God bless. Bye. Bye-bye. Very interesting. Very guy. interesting. Now I know better than to a, to try and start uh, an adult film company trying to blow up balloons <laughs> in the Everglades. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I don't have to. There went our next so, venture, Chris. I know. I don't know. I'm going to have to come up with a new idea. Uh, but a gr- really interesting story about, um, you know, failure and success and, you know, perseverance and, and everything else. It was really, really good. Um, so many thanks to, to him for coming on. Yeah, and before we go, we need to talk about our sponsor, Oberk. Oberk Car Care is a Midwest manufacturer of polishing compounds and supplies that is researched, tested, and developed by professional detailers themselves. Oberk products are designed to decimate swirls, holograms, and all that oxidation on vehicles paint. And right now, Oberk is offering 20% off any order online with the code Overcrest. That discount code is good not only on OberkCarCare.com, but also on CarSuppliesWarehouse.com and DetailedImage.com. Chris, I have to admit, I don't care for detailing. I'm not a detailing guy, but the Oberk products make it so easy that it's just a breeze. I love it. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, just basically scratch the hell out of my 911 so I can <laughs> use some of that stuff. All right, guys, we will see you on Monday. Monday. Take care.